Game Time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is 11-time NCAA championship coach, Gino Ariema. This year, we've been privileged to have Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, and Tom Izzo on the program. But even together, those three coaching giants couldn't match the 11 national championships earned by their Hall of Fame colleague and today's special guest. It is my pleasure to welcome the man who built the UConn women's basketball dynasty from scratch. His name, Gino Oriema. Gino, great to see you and welcome to Game Time. Thanks, Boomer. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, so you're a funny guy. I've interviewed you before, and you know you make it all the way to the Final Four against South Carolina. And I'm just wondering, a coach of your stature, all the accomplishments, do I? You had 11 different starting lineups. Do I do I offer condolences for the loss, or do I say, man, you know what a great run you guys had? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think when you're building a program, you know, uh, and you you know you know you played enough sports and you played enough high level sports to realize getting there is 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 really hard getting there is really important um but i think let's say after you've won a super bowl or two or you know fortunate enough to win more than one or two i don't know that you celebrate getting to a super bowl you know you want to win it but I think sometimes circumstances and how you got there and what happened along the way, you know, make some trips there more, you know, maybe more rewarding than others if you don't win. All right. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you said at the Elite Eight game, to win that game is the toughest game to get to the Final Four. And obviously you beat the number one seed, uh, NC State, and that was diff- that was really difficult. And then after the game, the one thing I've really not seen much from you was this emotion and everybody was wondering whether or not Gino Oriemo was suffering from some sort of burnout from coaching and all that you had been through this year. <laughs> Any truth um, to that? That does happen. You know, I, I think it happens to, to all of us where you, um, you feel like, man, what we had to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I would want to coach like that every year and have to deal with all that. But uh, that NC State game, I think, took a lot out of a lot of people. Um, you know, it was just one of those classic games. And uh, we won it. We gave it back. We won it. We gave it back. Um, yeah, that was a very emotional. It was a very emotional game on top of a very emotional season. Yes. You know, it's uh, strange this college basketball season. I watched Roy Williams in the stands watching Mike Krzyzewski coach his final game. And then out of the blue, Villanova's Jay Wright decides to retire. And, of course, Rutgers women's coach, C. Vivian Stringer, just retired as well. I'm just wondering, you know, is this all part and parcel to the new landscape of college sports in general with the NIL situation that you guys are dealing with and also the transfer portal? Or you think just these felt like it was their time? I think it was a little bit of both. I think... uh there's certainly um, a different challenge now than there's ever been. Um, you know, as you know, you play for some co- coaches are notorious, you know, about controlling as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. when you're hit with a bunch of stuff that you can't control, 
you have to make a decision. You know, is, is this something that I can live with? And I think a lot of us older coaches that have been around the game for a long, long time. Uh, yeah, you all have to adapt and you all have to change. But some of the things that are happening right now, uh, as much as everybody wants to say it's great for the athletes and all that, it's it's really not in, in, in so many ways for 95% of all the athletes in America. But certainly for the coaches, it's um, it, it's enough to give you pause. And I think if you've had a lot of success in your career and you're not chasing anything, you can say it's time. And I think that's what happened. All right, we're just getting warmed up with the great Gino Oriema. We'll look back at his Philadelphia story when game time continues right after this. Gino Evino, who's the wine that you would associate with the great Sue Bird? Um... Uh, a red French burgundy because she's just so smooth. You're watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back to Game Time. A native of Italy, Gino Oriema, immigrated to the United States when he was seven. Now, he had to teach himself English, an entirely new culture, when his parents settled in Norristown, Pennsylvania, the northwest Philadelphia suburb that also gave the world both Tommy Lasorda and Mike Piazza. So I did read that you had an early childhood teacher who basically said, you better learn English or you're going to be left back. So how'd you do it? Um... Sports. I fell in love with uh, I fell in love with baseball, and I happened to have uh, uh, a kid living next door to my aunt's house because we live with my aunt and uncle, uh, and we happened to live across the street from an elementary school that had a playground. So we would spend every chance that we had over at this playground you know, throwing the ball around and, you know, learning how to catch and throw and uh, learning how to swing the bat. And through that, you know, you have to, you know, you have to figure things out. You have to learn. And then when you're at school, uh, I I think I learned the art of paying attention. I I don't have it anymore, but I, I was really good at it when I was young. You learn by watching. You learn by listening and I, I, I had that ability to do that. It was a God-given thing for me. It's not something that I, you know, had to work really hard at. So all those things, sports, pay attention, listen. Uh, and, I, you know, you, when you're that age, you pick things up quickly. If you're, if you're 15 and you come to this country, you'll have that accent. If you're 16, you'll have that accent the rest of your life. But when you're a little kid, before you get to 8, 9, or 10, it didn't take long. It didn't take long. So, you know, I know you just said baseball. You loved the sport. It was your original sport. You also had a coach named Skag Cotman. Now, I'm just wondering. Man, you're going way back. I am. I just want to know how good old Skag actually influenced you maybe to get into coaching. Man, oh, man. Well, you know, obviously times were different then. And uh, this guy, you know, he saw me and I guess, you know, he took a liking to me. and, and, And I remember him going out of his way to help me because I think he knew my background. Mm-hmm. And I think 
as I got older, I, I, I was fortunate enough to play with a bu- play for a bunch of really good, really good coaches. And I thought later on how cool that must be to, to have that kind of effect on young people that they can grow up thinking that, hey, you know, uh, if it wasn't for so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, I might not, you know, might not have had the opportunities that I have today. You know, it's amazing, Coach, that you and Chris Daly have lasted this long together. And I know, I think she was up for the job as well as you were. Uh, you hired her as an assistant coach. Uh, you're like an old married couple, if you ask me. I, I watch you and I see the interactions between the two of you. Uh, how have you guys been able to keep that relationship uh, as strong as it's been and as successful as it's been? I think most head coaches that really, really have a lot of success have some stability on their staff. And I think most head coaches that have a lot of success or even business leaders that have a lot of success are smart enough to surround themselves with people that are better than they are at the things that they're not good at. And all the things that I love to do, I do. All the things I don't like to do because I'm not good at. Uh, Chris loves doing those things and is great at them. And so uh, I give her tremendous autonomy to uh, to do her job and to be uh, anything she wants to be. And it's, it's worked out great because uh, I understand that without her contributions, we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I've never heard that before, the way you just put that, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. All right, we're going to return to continue our full-court press on the great Gino Oriema right after these messages. Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. Built Ford Tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Gino Oriema likes to say, I don't coach women, I coach basketball players. When pressed further about how he trains people, he often responds, I go by the old-fashioned Italian Catholic way. You make them feel guilty, which I've had a few of those coaches myself uh, coach. You know, (laughs) another famous Italian-American coach, Vince Lombardi, used to say perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. And I would imagine that's exactly the way you you approach things. I think... I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, there is something to be said for, um, you know, giving people something to strive for that uh, 99% of the time they know is unattainable because mm-hmm. it also allows you to find out how competitive they are. If you give someone that's something to achieve and it's easily accomplished, you don't really get to find out their fighting spirit, their competitiveness, their their willingness to do whatever they have to do until until you put them in a situation where there's only one way out of this thing. And even if I do 99.9% of the things right, I might not get it right. But that's not going to stop me from competing and going after it. And even if I come up short, at least I feel good about my effort, even though I didn't get it. 
You know, you and I share an admiration for the great Knicks teams of the late 1960s, early 1970s. Those were coached by Red Holtzman, and we loved Red Holtzman's style of play, the unselfishness of the 70s, and like I said, the early 60s. Now, how would you characterize that unselfish, hit-the-open style brand of basketball as opposed to what we're seeing a lot more of today, especially in the men's game, not so much in the women's game. I see a lot of the same traits in your team as I saw in the Knicks back in the days, but the men's game has changed so much. It's become such more of an individual type of sport. You know, when people say, uh, you know, younger people even maybe, who's your favorite player of all time? I would say, uh, Walt Frazier. And they would go, huh? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Walt Frazier. He was... He was the guy in the seventh game when Willis Reed walked out there and limped out there. They don't talk about – Walt Frazier had a triple-double that day. I think he had 36, 14, and 12, something like that. And I said uh, he epitomized everything that I always thought made a, a, a player great. And there certainly have been others since and before. You couldn't stop him from scoring anytime he wanted, and you couldn't score on him. That, to me, is the essence of a superstar. Um, And yet, he played on a team where everyone interacted on every possession. The open man got the ball. And everyone played their role perfectly. And you could still be a star on a team like that. The game has changed now because it's gotten faster, I think. It's gotten more physical, probably. Uh, there's more of a premium put on, I guess, uh, more ball screen stuff, you know, and and I think there's once somebody's successful with it, then everyone goes to it. The game's wide open now. There, there's more, more, more formations, more different routes that people run. More guys going out for pass. I mean, it's just. Everything's just blown up, and sometimes it's fun to watch, sometimes not so much fun. Well, just you, you should know that I had to have a pair of Puma Clydes, uh, and uh, they were named go. after, of course, Clyde Frazier. When I grew up, I love Clyde, and I love him to this day. All righty, we'll be right back to elicit Gino's thoughts on everything from X's and O's to X players in just a moment. It's game time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with Gino Oriema, whose mother, Marciella, famously asked him, why do you have to win every year? That's why nobody likes you. You know, Coach, <laughs> it's, it's better to be unliked and win than to lose and be liked, I guess, right? I say that to my players all the time. You know, if you don't want the scrutiny, if you don't want the pressure, if you don't want people uh, picking sides, whether they uh, are a fan of yours or they're not. Uh, If you don't want any of the credit for winning and any of the downside for losing, it's, it's easy. Just, just really be bad at what you do and no one will give a damn about you. So uh, if you aspire to be good and then you are fortunate enough to reach a certain level, um, this is the world that you, you created for yourself. And uh, there's there's no getting around that, you know. Everyone that coaches, everyone that plays tries to get to that point, And you deal with what comes after that. 
you know, it's got to be something for you to, you know, talk about legacy. You talk about being around a long time and winning and everything else. But there were 10 of your UConn alumni playing or coaching at the Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just thinking when you're there and you're seeing all of this, it's just got to be an amazing feeling for you to see all these these people that, that have been a part of your life turn into successful athletes and coaches themselves. Yeah, uh, you know, some of the some of the kids that I've coached, that went into coaching and became really successful. I was really, really surprised. The players that played for me that ended up um, being Olympians, when they were here playing in college, uh, you knew right away they were somebody. They were they were something special. You don't know that coming out of high school. You know, you you think this kid's going to be pretty good, but you don't know. Uh, you know, you can you can get a kid. Uh, again, that's everybody says this kid's one of the top three players in America, and not turn out that way while you're while you're coaching him. And then you can get someone that, you know, someone might say, you know, eh, it's going to be a stretch for them to be that good at Connecticut, and they turn out to be spectacular. So, uh, but once they're here at UConn, I, I think when they leave here, nothing that some of them do has surprised me. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to return with some well-fermented questions for Gino about vino right after this. Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. We're back with Gino, which rhymes with Vino, Oriema, who is passionate about wine as he is about women's college basketball. He already has an impressive wine cellar, I heard, and his own <laughs> label of wines, by, by the way. And in fact, he dreams of someday moving to California or back home to Italy to own a winery. So how many bottles do you have, Gino? Uh, just over a thousand right now. Is there one specific uh, bottle that you like better than others? Uh, partial to Italian Brunellos. All right, so here we go. We, ha- we like to have some uh, fun with our guests on Game Time. We always come up with these little games, and I came up with this one last night. I don't know what I was thinking about, but Gino Evino. And here's how this is going to work. Uh, it's a game of free association. I'm going to say a name, then you tell me the first wine that comes to your mind. Okay, just remember, no sour grapes, okay? <laughs> Uh, all right here we go (laughs) who's the wine that you would associate with the great sue bird um oh a red french burgundy because she's just so smooth i like it how about diana tarasi um a southern italian wine ionico which actually there is a tarasi Wine, that's the town that her parents come from, or her father comes from. It's big, bold, and aggressive. Okay, how about Rebecca Lobo? Um, I, I, I think a very, very, very sophisticated white burgundy. All right, uh, your wife, Kathy Ariema. Uh, <laughs> a 
I want to say a a beautiful Bordeaux blend. You know. Yeah. She wears a lot of she wears a lot of hats. I like it. Now here's one you couldn't get your hands on. That would be Aaliyah Boston. Ah, uh, hmm. that's a that's a rare. That's a rare wine indeed. Maybe an Australian wine because that's where I wish she was instead of playing against us. Okay, and finally, Paige Beckers. Um, geez, oh man, that's that's probably the toughest one. Um, it's the youngest wine, maybe. Maybe it just needs a little bit, a few more years to really reach its potential. Yeah, yeah, I I I, I agree with that. Maybe a. Uh, Maybe a cab, a California cab that's fruit forward, really, bam, hits you right in the face when you open it. <laughs> but you know it's going to be better down the road. <laughs> uh, you, you know what? I, I love it. You know, I love your passion for college basketball in general, women's college basketball to be specific, but also for wine, because you and I have a lot in common, the Knicks, the wine, and we both love basketball. Well, I'd love, I'd love to talk to you about wine down the road. All right, I look forward to it. Our thanks to Gino Oriema for joining us today and to all of you for watching on Boomer Esiason. And I'll see you again real soon right here on Game Time. And all I ever wanted from anything, this game, from friends, acquaintances, was the respect of how I do things and how I represent my family, my school, my program. And this is the ultimate sign of respect. And I want to thank all of you that made it possible.